Hello, and welcome back to GEMcast. This is part two in a series on toxicology in the older patient with Dr. Mei Yen, who is an emergency physician and also fellowship trained in toxicology. Our first session last time, we talked about some general principles about toxicologic emergencies in the elderly and how they present, possibly in a different manner from younger patients. We also talked about salicylate toxicity, both acutely and chronically, and its management. Today, we will be talking about our second case, which we see even more often than salicylates, and that is Tylenol or acetaminophen overdoses. Now, you may be thinking, oh, Tylenol toxicity, that's not that complicated. You pretty much just see if their level is high and then treat them with NAC if it is high. But actually, there is some subtlety in terms of who you can apply the nomogram to and then also which patients who have chronic toxicity may require treatment and then also what patients need referral for transplant evaluation. So I actually learned several important pearls that I will be using in my practice. As always, you can subscribe to GEMcast on iTunes, or you can listen on our website, gempodcast.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter. The handle is at gempodcast. I'm always happy to hear from you with any comments, suggestions, critiques, etc. Let's dive in. I want to move on to our second toxin, which is acetaminophen or paracetamol in other countries. And this can also present with both acute or chronic ingestions. It may be intentional or it may be unintentional due to polypharmacy. Yeah, I think acetaminophen is actually one of my favorite topics. They're actually currently at our talks meetings now. People are giving hour-long talks on something that you think that is so tried and true. It's in all the talk spores. Every third-year medical student knows, but it's actually really quite nuanced and really quite interesting. Acetaminophen toxicity ingestion, the symptoms doesn't really change between the elderly and the young. I would just say the presentation in terms of having the history, oh, I overdosed on 100 Tylenol versus an elderly person who comes in having some lower back pain, maybe exacerbated, started taking some Percocet on top of their normal acetaminophen dosing, not realizing that there's already acetaminophen in the Percocet, and then coming in a couple days later with nausea, vomiting, and jaundice. That's kind of the big things I think about in terms of presentation. As we all know, I'm just going to give a brief overview. I, I know we already are quite familiar with this, but acetaminophen toxicity really comes from the metabolite napki that's made that is what is actually hepatotoxic. So anytime you or I are taking just a normal dose of acetaminophen, we always form this napki. Generally, our body has enough glutathione stores that will help detoxify it. In an overdose setting, you saturate all the other mechanisms, you uh, use up all your glutathione, and then you get this big shunt of napki that then goes directly to the liver. So in terms of toxicity from it, it's really more of a delayed toxicity. You don't expect to see it right away. And it comes from the liver failure and the hepatotoxicity that comes from the napki. I understand there's four stages of acetaminophen toxicity. Can you walk us through those? Yeah. The first stage is stage one, which is very nonspecific, very benign. You may not have any symptoms at all. It's usually within the first zero to six or 12 hours after ingestion, people get some nausea, vomiting, some mild abdominal pain. You don't really see any kind of liver dysfunction quite yet because that's just usually from the parent compound of the acetaminophen. Stage two, which can come on anywhere from 12 to 36 hours after ingestion, is the most 
most dangerous stage. It's really when you have resolution of your clinical symptoms, meaning your nausea, vomiting maybe has subsided, your abdominal pain has felt a little better, but cellularly, you start having the hepatocellular toxicity from the napki. So this is when you start seeing the rising LFTs. So the parent compound has been metabolized, and now it's just really the metabolite that's working. And I saw a board review question on that recently, mm-hmm. asking at what time point do you start seeing rising LFTs? So that would be in stage two, the hepatocellular toxicity stage from 12 to 36 hours. Correct, correct. And I would say the 12 to 36 is kind of, you know, they're outliers. Some people present as late as like 72, but just in general, it would be within the first day or two. And then you move on to stage three, which is really where you have your fulminant liver failure. And not everybody makes it to stage three. People with a very small ingestion, maybe just get a little transaminitis or just get a little symptomatic and then they resolve. But stage three is when you have progression, you have the fulminant liver failure, you think about the coagulopathy, acidosis, renal failure. That usually happens within the third or fourth day. And then after that, stage four, where you either recover, you get transplanted or you die. So four stages. First, you have some symptoms, then your symptoms resolve and you start having hepatotoxicity. And then stage three, three or four days out, you get the liver failure, coagulopathy, acidosis, renal failure, and then stage four, recovery, transplant, or death. So how can we increase the rates of recovery and reduce the risk for (laughs) transplant or death? What do we do to treat this? Yeah, it's a great goal. First, I think is we have to diagnose (laughs) the acetaminophen overdose. So in chronics where you maybe don't get the history that they've had an acute ingestion, you just have to always be on the lookout. Anytime you have somebody with unexplained liver pathology, or like a unexplained transaminitis or elevated liver enzymes, I always go back and retake my history. What have they been taking? What other over-the-counter medications have they been taking? Have they been taking any herbals? Those kind of things just to get a better liver history, quote-unquote, as I like to call it. And people who do have an acute overdose, if you get the treatment on in time, that will severely decrease the need for transplant or for progression to liver failure. So one thing we have very handy is the RUMAC Matthews nomogram, which is something we use in in helping determine who needs treatment and who doesn't. So this has the caveat is it really only works for a single acute ingestion of acetaminophen alone. It was only ever studied or validated in that population. But what it does is it makes a good line where if you know the time of ingestion and you have the acetaminophen level, you can plot it out on this chart and anything above the line you would consider to be at risk for being hepatotoxic, anything underneath that line you consider safe and you don't need any further treatment. So again, the caveat though is that it really is only meant to be for acetaminophen alone, which I almost never see anymore because everybody takes it with like oxycodone, hydrocodone, diphenhydramine, and that will actually slow down your gut absorption. So it increases the risk of what we call line crossers, where you start out underneath the line, and then at a second check, you actually have crossed the line. Those patients, I recommend getting two levels. Interesting. You know, we're familiar with the four-hour level where we check that, see if it's over the line. If it is, we treat it. But then you're saying in these polyingestions with things particularly that slow down the gut, like opioids, we should check it again. How many hours out would you check it? I generally just check it like two to four hours out. And as long as you're having the expected metabolism, it's going down as you expected. It's still well within underneath the line. I think you can clear them from that standpoint. Got it. So you check four hours after ingestion and then check it again two to four hours after that. If it's still below the line, then you're probably okay. Correct. Yeah. Let's talk about hemodialysis. Is there any role for that in acetaminophen overdose? 
Hemodialysis is interesting because acetaminophen can be dialyzed off. We actually have another antidote for acetaminophen called NAC that's incredibly effective. So it's very rarely, rarely, rarely used. In large, large ingestions, though, where you can have toxicity from the parent compound from the acetaminophen itself, I would recommend hemodialysis at that point. So in very large ingestions and where your level is, say, 700, 800, 900, which is incredibly high, if you think about when we talk about toxic levels at four hours, you start treatment at levels of 150 micrograms per milliliter. So this is an incredibly, incredibly high or large ingestion. The acetaminophen itself will actually act as a mitochondrial inhibitor. So you get a really bad lactic acidosis, get liver toxicity directly from the acetaminophen, which then prolongs its metabolism. So because of the lactic acid, the lactic acidosis, the acid-base changes, and as well as the thought that this parent compound is going to last so long in your system, generating more and more of this toxic metabolite that the better thing to do is really just to dialyze everything off of it. Napki as well as acetaminophen should be dialyzable off. Got it. Most of the time we can just treat with N-acetylcysteine, our standard antidote. And in severe, very, very high levels of overdose, we could consider hemodialysis to dialyze off the actual acetaminophen itself. Yeah. And let's talk about chronic ingestions. This is where it gets a little bit more tricky because an acute ingestion, usually they'll tell you, I just took 100 Mm -hmm. Tylenol. But again, that's not as common in older adults. More often we'll see, like you mentioned, people taking extra doses of Tylenol for their back pain or maybe adding on Percocets or a lot of the cough and cold formulations over the counter have acetaminophen in them. So what are the criteria? When do we need to treat these patients who have more chronic indolent ingestions? Yeah, I'm very conservative with any suspicion of acetaminophen toxicity. There's no nomogram that you can use for these chronic ingestions just because you don't know when the last dose was. You can't really plot it in any ways. If you have any signs of liver toxicity, meaning abnormal LFTs, elevation of your transaminases, elevation of your bilirubin or evidence of coagulopathy, with or without a detectable acetaminophen level, I would treat. If you have no evidence of liver toxicity, but you have a detectable acetaminophen level. And by that, I mean a level greater than 10 micrograms per millimeter. There's some hospitals that go all the way down to like the 0.2. And I think if it's that low, then generally we just say just monitor. But a detectable acetaminophen level greater than 10 I would absolutely just start treatment. Because the big thing you want to know is we're looking at acetaminophen level, but that's not really what the toxicity is coming from. That's just a surrogate marker for what we want to know, which is how much napki is still in the system. There's no way of knowing that. So I would have a very, very low threshold to start NAC on anybody who I think has been chronically exposed or has an unknown time of ingestion as well. Say somebody comes found down, found to have a high or even just a detectable acetaminophen level, but has no evidence of of liver toxicity without a clear time of ingestion, I would go ahead and treat it. Because if you plot it on the nomogram, it could be non-toxic if it was four hours, but it could be toxic if this is 24 hours. Got it. To summarize all of that, for Tylenol or acetaminophen ingestions, acutely, if it's a single ingestion, we can use the nomogram. And then if we look at chronic toxicity, who needs to be treated, you can either have evidence of liver toxicity with elevated LFTs with or without a detectable acetaminophen level, or you can have normal LFTs 
with a detectable acetaminophen level over 10 mics per mil. NAC is a fantastic, fantastic medication. So in the acute ingestions, they've shown that if you start treatment within eight hours, that you're almost guaranteed to do fine. You might get a little bump in your liver enzymes, but almost nobody goes on to have fulminant liver failure or require transplant. And then in patients who say you come in with evidence of fulminant liver failure, you have AST, ALT. And the way I define this is AST, ALT greater than a thousand. And that's how Barry Rumack defined it. And it's actually kind of funny in a conference recently, someone asked, "How did? why did you make that number? And his reply was like, well, it was a nice round number. People seem sick above it. They seem to do okay below it. So that's what I stuck with. So not like... Not uh, not a randomized control. No, uh, no. Yeah, like much of medicine. Like much of toxicology in particular. But in people who have fulminant liver failure, thought to be from acetaminophen, even without a detectable level, there's some studies that show that if you give them the full course of NAC, it actually will decrease morbidity. So people have less hemodynamic instability, they have less coagulopathy, they have less mental status changes, people overall do better. And then what's the deal with IV versus PONAC? Now, obviously, if somebody is severely ill, fulminant, you know, going towards liver failure, renal failure, I'm going to do the IV and acetylcysteine. But for somebody who has maybe a mild chronic ingestion with some elevated LFTs, is PONAC okay? PONAC is fine. PONAC is a great medication. I think it's starting to fall in out of favor just because of a few things. It has a sulfur base. So glutathione is a sulfur donor. So it smells horrible, tastes horrible. So if you think about somebody who's acetaminophen toxic that you're treating with it, they probably have some abdominal pain. They already have some nausea vomiting probably don't want to be taking this medicine. And then the next thing is you have to dose it every four hours for 17 doses. So that ends up being three days in the hospital, having somebody take this medication who may or may not be that compliant if they've been trying to kill themselves. So I think that's one of the big problems with it. Overall, it is a lot cheaper than the IV NAC, but the IV NAC dosing really just lasts a day. Around this area is a little controversial. Our Carolina's Poison Center has a different dosing recommendation than what's on the insert of the acetidote. It's not clear which one's better or not. Barry Rumack himself has said an acetylcysteine isn't anything that's concrete by any means. Some people need more, some people need less. So it's still something very, very fluid. But generally, most rounds of NAC will be done within 21 to 24 hours. So it saves people time in terms of a hospital stay. People are more compliant with it just because they don't have to do anything actively. Got it. So it is a little bit more expensive, but then you reduce your hospital length of stay potentially because you don't need as many treatments. Yeah. I'm sure the nurses will thank you too for not having the smelly medicine. There is, though, the risk of reaction. With the IV, yeah. And that really was seen more in the very beginning when they first started having it because they were taking the oral formulation and filtering it out. And the initial bolus of the dose was done under 15 minutes as opposed to one hour. So since making some changes with the formulation and as well as lengthening this initial loading dose out to one hour, we've seen a lot less. And it's important to know it's an anaphylactoid reaction, so not anaphylactic, so it's not IgE-mediated. So it's not a true allergy. My recommendation is if people start developing symptoms, what I say is I always stop the infusion briefly and then you can restart it, treat them, you know, give them antihistamines, you can give them bronchodilators, plus minus steroids, and then you can restart the infusion a little slower. Really, it's just with the first loading dose that you see this reaction. So if you get them through that, they don't have any problems with the following ones because the volume and the concentration is so much lower than that loading dose. One last thing to talk about in terms of acetaminophen ingestion is who needs to be transferred to a facility that can do transplants. That's a great question, especially if you think about the majority 
of residents and people maybe don't necessarily practice in an academic facility. In terms of determining criteria for liver transplantation, a lot of toxicologists will use the King's College criteria and the modified criteria. I know hepatologists maybe have a different scoring system that they use, but this is what we've kind of stuck to. And what that generally is, is if there's evidence of acidosis as defined by pH less than 7.3 after fluid resuscitation, which is also defined as two liters of IV fluids or normal saline, or lactate greater than three, that trumps everything. You And with that sign of acidosis, you absolutely start thinking about transfer. Or alternatively, you would have to meet three criteria where you have evidence of renal failure with a creatinine greater than 3.3, coagulopathy or synthetic dysfunction, an INR of greater than 6.5, and then grade three or four encephalopathy. So either the all three of those criteria together or just the evidence of severe acidosis despite resuscitation. Those are the people we'd recommend. Got it. I'm going to try to summarize that, and I'm going to start out with the rule of 150s. This is a great way to help remember some of the main numbers that have to do with Tylenol toxicity. First off, the toxic dose is about 150 milligrams per kilogram, and then the toxic level at which you would treat the four-hour level at which you would give N-acetylcysteine is over 150 micrograms per mil, and the loading dose of N-acetylcysteine that you would treat with is 150 milligrams per kilogram. So magically, somehow, all those numbers are 150, which I love. Acetaminophen toxicity, like we talked about, has four stages. Initially, they may have some nonspecific symptoms, and then stage two, 12 to 36 hours, they'll have improvement in their clinical symptoms and then rising LFTs as the hepatocellular toxicity sets in. Stage three, which is 72 to 96 hours later, you have the maximum fulminant liver failure with coagulopathy, acidosis, and renal failure. And then in stage four, you have either recovery, transplant, or death. Fortunately, if treatment occurs within eight hours of ingestion, then it is almost universally not fatal and you can have good recovery without the need for transplant. We should remember that the nomogram that we use to determine whether there is a toxic level of ingestion is really only valid for single isolated acetaminophen ingestions. So not when there's polypharmacy with half of a medicine cabinet that's been ingested. However, that being said, I think it's still important to check a level and certainly if it's above the nomogram, then you would treat. It's just that if it's below the nomogram level, you may have what's called a line crosser where when you check a second level at two to four hours after the first level, now you're above the toxic nomogram line. Treatment is fortunately pretty easy and not too dangerous, and that is with N-acetylcysteine. Typically, you're going to treat IV, certainly for severe ingestions, and you can also treat PO with the downside that it tastes and smells really bad. Also, the PO treatment is a longer course than the IV treatment. IV treatment, you may have a patient experience an anaphylactoid reaction, in which case you can treat them with some antihistamines and then slow down the infusion. It is not an IgE-mediated anaphylactic dick reaction. For patients who are maybe at a rural ED or a standalone ED or not a major 
academic center who may require transplantation, the criteria for transplant are either a pH of less than 7.3 or a lactate of greater than 3, this is after resuscitation, or if you have a creatinine over 3.3 and INR over 6.5 or grade 3 or 4 encephalopathy. Now, of course, those are not easy numbers to remember. It's too bad they're not all 150 because that would, again, make it easier. But basically, if they're looking bad, still looking acidemic after resuscitation, not clearing their lactate, or they're starting to have signs of renal dysfunction, liver coagulopathy dysfunction, so synthetic dysfunction, and encephalopathy, then you should be transferring them to a place that can potentially do a liver transplant. In patients who have very, very high levels of ingestion, you may even consider hemodialysis, but that's, again, going to be very rare. Now, in the chronic injections, and this is more commonly what I think we may see, particularly in older adults who are not trying to intentionally overdose and commit suicide, but who are just treating their pain or using new medications that they didn't realize had Tylenol in them, criteria to treat with N-acetylcysteine are basically any sort of abnormal findings on your lab tests, such as abnormal LFTs or an acetaminophen level over 10 micrograms per milliliter. So if either of those are true, then then you would treat. And again, the N-acetylcysteine is generally well tolerated, has few side effects, so it's reasonable to treat even if you are not 100% sure if that's what's going on. As with any suspected overdose, it's always a really good idea to call your local poison center. In the U.S., that number is 1-800-222-1222, and they will be able to give you individualized advice based on that patient, their vitals, their levels, etc. So that is it for this episode. We will be back next time with two more cases to finish out our geriatric toxicology little mini-series here. We will be discussing digoxin and calcium channel blockers. Until next time.